I could manage pressure really well when I was working out. Like I felt really confident there and I didn't feel like I was really compensating a ton just with kind of the knowledge that I had gained from you in the process, but I still had some things that bothered me. So my, my mesh, I could see it and feel it still is just like a, you know, one inch by one inch square on my belly. And I could, you could just see the ridge of it. And it just bothered me just knowing it was there. And then also, you know, when I lean back or go into, yeah, that extended position, like my, um, diastasis, just basically my insides would push through in between my, my diastasis, my abdominal wall. And so that bothered me. I just didn't feel like secure in that sense. I felt compromised. Yeah. I don't really know how else to explain it. And then, so I I knew I could manage with the diastasis. Obviously I could manage. Okay. I competed. I did, I did a lot of things with it, but I just felt weak. I felt really weak right there. Welcome to the practice brave podcast. I'm your host, Brianna battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. The Practice Brave podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I'm here with my good friend, Michaela North. She is an athlete a mom, a coach, an entrepreneur, and just she brings so much good to the fitness industry, to the health industry. And today we're going to be talking about her journey with diastasis, with an abdominal plasty, and just mom life and how that has kind of influenced so much of the work she does. So Michaela, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's see. Mom of four, like you mentioned, I have ages two to seven. Um, so still quite a few little ones at home. I have a history in athletics. I competed as a track and field athlete in college and then shortly after found CrossFit and spent almost a decade in the CrossFit field, competing, coaching, and having my babies kind of in between. <laughs> so right. uh, now I, and, and I have, you know, kind of since really I started competing and coaching right out the gate within the CrossFit realm um, and have been coaching in the nutrition space primarily over the last almost gosh it's been like about 9 years now and currently i coach one-on-one clients in nutrition and um workouts so fitness and nutrition i love how um so much of our like personal life and stuff can help transfer into what we end up doing professionally and then making it work with mom life and i so i feel like we're starting to see that more and more often so yeah. if you don't know, like Michaela's like OG CrossFit mom. I feel like we've lived parallel <laughs> lives and just didn't find each other till like a little bit later on in the process. But it's uh, so true. So talk to me a little bit about your pregnancies and maybe what they were like and what those processes were like. Uh, let's see. First pregnancy was twins, um, Mason and Zoe, and I let's see, I was just kind of newer to CrossFit at the time competing, really, really loved the sport. 
so new, new to CrossFit. I've been in the sport for a couple of years, loved it, competed, and then got pregnant surprisingly with twins. So shortly into that pregnancy, I found out that I had placenta previa just like slightly. And it wasn't until I was about 24 ish between 24, and 27 weeks along, um, that I switched OBGYNs and was told that that had cleared up and that I was good to exercise. So I didn't exercise. I think it was the first, yeah, probably 27 weeks. I didn't exercise really at all during that time. Um, I was really nervous. First pregnancy, Craig was mostly Craig was really nervous. Probably, you know, like don't do anything. Um, we'd been trying to get pregnant for two years. We ended up the fertility route. And so it just felt like a lot. And then, oh my gosh, it's twins and we just didn't know anything. And it just seemed like a lot to carry two babies at once. Right. So that plus the finding out I had placenta previa was just kind of made me just so nervous to really do anything. So I continued coaching CrossFit, um, but didn't really work out and then switched doctors and found out I could. So then I kind of started doing some things and that probably lasted until like 34 weeks pregnant. And then I was just, my belly was ginormous. So didn't do much from there on out and was induced at 38 weeks and delivered them then. And yeah, um, other than just having my belly grow really large, um, I had like a pretty good pregnancy considering went to full term with twins. I carry just straight out in front. And I think that combined with some lordosis that I've always had, I probably saw some more significant damage to my belly and core than I would have otherwise. So I ended up with a pretty severe hernia postpartum and then um, diastasis, which I didn't know what that was at the time. And there wasn't a lot of research on it really, or just like information out there for the everyday individual. Um, all I knew, I don't even think my doctor mentioned it other than the hernia. Uh, so I got my hernia repaired. It was an umbilical hernia. I was just told it's really bad. You need it repaired right away. And I didn't really know anything beyond that. I just listened and got a mesh hernia repair about eight months postpartum. And no one really mentioned my diastasis to me. And that was something I just kind of realized on my own as I was kind of recovering. I realized like, my, why does my belly look so different than everyone else's seem to postpartum? So I started kind of doing research and noticing that yeah, things just looked and seemed to feel different for me than they did for a lot of women I knew. Yeah, learned about what diastasis recti was, joined like a support group on Facebook to see if I could get more information. And shortly after got pregnant, just spontaneous pregnancy. I ovulated before I got my cycle back. So right at about eight months postpartum, I got pregnant again. And that pregnancy, I felt... I had like a, you know, decent understanding of what diastasis recti was, but everything that was out there was just like, go on walks, do breathing, don't move your body. And I was like, I'm competing. You know, I had, I like got the itch before I got pregnant with the twins. And so when I was pregnant, I had my sights set on that. So really shortly after I had them, I hit the ground running and I was wanting to compete. And with Jack's pregnancy, I just 
kept working out really hard. I was kind of in that, like the opposite mindset of, you know, I can do anything, even though I'm pregnant. And I just trained really hard through that pregnancy. And I, um, I did compete through that pregnancy too, but that was because I didn't actually know I was pregnant for the first, I can't even believe I'm saying this for the first six months. (laughs) So, so that's maybe a story for another time. I don't know how much you want me to go into that, but yeah. (laughs) That's so great. Basically short, basically long story short on that second pregnancy, new mom of twins, just found out I had diastasis recti. Everyone in my support group looked like they were about six months pregnant. So, right. you know, I'd gone to PTs. I had that at that point I had gone to my OB-GYN and he felt my belly and just said, yeah, you got diastasis recti. You just need surgery when you're done having kids. Um, I was pregnant at the time and he didn't notice. So (laughs) there was was just a lot of things playing into it. I also thought I had my period, um, but I was just spotting because I was competing and training really hard. So luckily he's like, you know, super healthy kid. He's now six. (laughs) Um, But it's it's interesting to me because everything that was a pregnancy symptom, I attributed to a diastasis symptom. And then at the time too, um, everyone kind of said to fix your diastasis, you should wear an abdominal binder. And that was going to like encourage your core muscles to come back together. So I just wrapped that binder on every day and just kind of ignored my belly. And so, yeah, a lot of the, like the things that you would naturally feel and see with a pregnancy, I was kind of just like out of sight, out of mind with until I realized my belly seemed to be getting worse. And so (laughs) I took a pregnancy test and yeah, lo and behold, I was pregnant and the doctor hadn't ever taken a urine sample. Well, he did take a urine sample, but he never tested it. So yeah, there's just a lot of like things that all kind of fell together that made it. So I really did not think I was pregnant, you know, almost ended up being one of those people on, I know, like I didn't know I was pregnant. I just went pee and this baby fell out of me. So embarrassing. Yeah. So yeah, I got that positive pregnancy test. And that night I, you know, took my binder off. Obviously I was like, well, shoot, I'm pregnant. Um, I know I have diastasis, but I think a lot of these issues, issues I'm experiencing are pregnancy related. And it was that night that I felt him kicking and then, you know, saw him kicking and was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm not having a period. Um, that's spotting and I'm pregnant. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was a crazy, crazy story. No and I promise I'm in touch with my body, but man. Right. But like you said, like kind of like a series of events. And so there's obviously, we quite literally, aside from the whole twins thing and not knowing we're pregnant or whatever, like have a very similar story. But I think it's, what's interesting is we have that same timeline. Our, your twins and Cade are the are same. close. Like we were yeah. pregnant at the same time and growing up, I'd say in the same culture fitness culture of just not a lot of information about being an athlete and having like athlete brain and that mindset and that approach to pregnancy coupled with not having any relatable guidance out there. It was so extreme. Either was like, be the badass, which obviously we both Mm -hmm. gravitated to because the other advice was, well, just walk or just wear a brace or don't do anything. And we were like, screw that. That's stupid. Like, we're not going to do that. And so yeah, you guys listening have to understand that we have come so far. Oh my like Education, awareness, resources, train of thought in quite literally a seven year period. 
And I know. But just what we know about diastasis and how to approach training for athletes. And obviously I've worked my ass off to make that happen. But like Michaela and I really are from that same group and to have that our same exact experience with the hernia, which really was probably more of a diastasis yeah. than a hernia that oh, needed yeah. to be repaired. Like there was just so much misguidance and misunderstanding around uh, the holistic approach to being a pregnant athlete and a postpartum athlete. Yep. Yeah. I know it's so interesting too. You know, I got that mesh repair and I did so much PT. You know, I really, really like reached out to anyone that I thought could maybe help me repair my diastasis after I had Jack. And I just always felt like that mesh repair, almost like it was like slapping a bandaid on something that, you know, it almost made it so I couldn't bring my core together. Like it kept things in place. I had a hole, but then I also had a severe separation and it just kind of meshed that hole there. And so like, I mean, honestly, I don't, that's like, it's like dry cement once it's formed and you can't bring that together (laughs) on your own. Right. So, and then obviously going on to have another baby, which was a problem for both of us with the mesh was if the mesh, yes. if that hernia was repaired on fascia and not the abdominal yeah. wall, really, yeah. it, a pregnancy only kind of exaggerated mm-hmm. that uh, damage to the area for both of us. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. You know, we, and we know that these stories sound like they are like, oh, wow, what a like rare, like series of events, basically, that we both experienced. <laughs> but the longer I've been in this, the more yeah. I hear from so many people, again, over the last maybe four to seven years, it just feel like they didn't have the, the information that they needed to navigate pregnancy and to know like what is like air quotes normal or not normal. And then what are my choices? Like how right. with my body or with my training or with my diastasis to support not just this pregnancy or this postpartum recovery, but also my next pregnancies. Yeah. And I think, I think the cool thing, um, it's, it's just been interesting, you know, over the last four to seven years, like I think before that women just kind of accepted like, okay, this is where I'm at. And then also we didn't have much information about working out, you know, just like the standard don't live more than what, 25 pounds. And you know, we just didn't really see a lot of women training and working out hard in their pregnancies. It seemed like an anomaly. And then CrossFit came. And I think that was really great. You know, in some ways it kind of swung the pendulum the other direction to where women were like doing muscle ups when they're pregnant and like all these different things, which people thought initially like, wow, that's really cool. Like the the body is amazing. You can do all these things when you're pregnant still. And then we kind of realized like, okay, um, <laughs> I can like, yes, I can do all these things, but I might have some, you know, injuries that are going to last, you know, postpartum or, you know, even, even not so extreme, like maybe I should consider things like managing pressure. And obviously my body's in a new state while I'm carrying this child, everything's compensating, everything's different. So I should probably make some considerations for those things. So like, I felt like kind of in my three pregnancies, I sort of experienced all of those things. Like the first one, it felt like I hadn't really seen anyone working out and I was really worried. I didn't want to do any damage. The second one, I did everything and kind of ignored because I was just like, I'm not going to just listen to a blanket general statement. You know, I'm an individual and I kind of ignored everything. And then the third pregnancy, I 
realized that I wanted to, you know, do what was best for me and my health and my sanity, but also make sure my long-term health was kept in mind. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely such a, you know, I talk about like just the fitness culture and the fitness industry and how much it's influenced how people approach training during pregnancy and postpartum, because we really look to social media or try to find people that are like us and all of the people that were like us back then, Mm -hmm. you know, like that was kind of what we had to go off of because there just wasn't a lot of information. So for better or for worse, social media has (laughs) like done a lot of damage, but then it's also done a lot of good because it's helped us get so much better information out there. And ultimately that's when I ended up connecting, which I don't even remember when that happened. Yeah, it was, I think it was right after we won the games. I found out I was pregnant with Scotty like the next week and I had seen you working with someone and just, and I already knew like, okay, I've ignored this diastasis. I've trained through it. I had the goal to compete and I did it. And I already kind of just knew at some point I need to, I need to figure this out because I'm compensating. I'm having, you know, really bad back pain. Like I'm, I'm making it work, but it's not the best long-term. Like I need more information. I need better strategies. And then I found out I was pregnant right after the games and kind of, I had seen you on something and it just felt like, you know, it was meant to be. And so I think I hit you up right away. Like, Hey, I'm, you know, just barely pregnant, but here's kind of my history. And I want to do this pregnancy the right way. And I'm willing to be patient and make that happen. So yeah. Right. And it was great because then we realized how much we had in common. And although yeah. a uh, much higher level athlete than me, it was still like that mindset and approach and like the ignore it, but then also like crap. Now I, yep. need, I know I need to do something about it. <laughs> and like this surrender to truly making adjustments from the inside out. Yes. And so with coaching Michaela through her pregnancy and postpartum, it was just a lot of focus on quality of training and mm-hmm. just like really paying attention to what a lot of her tendencies were and then how to adjust those. Cause then it was, it was more of like, we're not going to resolve the diastasis. How can we damage control it so that she can yeah. keep moving in an enjoyable way? Um, while knowing that she has a third pregnancy, fourth baby pressing up against that thing on top of the mesh. So, you know, like we're working with some unique considerations but overall, a lot of the themes that, you know, I coached just had to be really, really uniquely implemented with her. Yeah. And it, that pregnancy was great. Um, well, she, yeah, she was, let's see, 11 days late. So we went real <laughs> nice and long. My kids like to be just forever cooking. Right. And I just felt so much more prepared to move through that pregnancy, but in a way that made sense for the state, the, you know, the current state that my body was in. And then, and then especially I felt like that really prepared me for postpartum as well. Right. right. Cause it really is just making some of those just kind of surrendering to the season you're in. And I also think yep. that after a first pregnancy, I know you and I've talked about this a lot, but I think it's beneficial for other people to hear that you almost have more trust in yourself after like, you know what, like, <laughs> I know my body is going to be different. I know that yep. like things are not probably going to go as fast as I want them to go. And I'm also not going to push myself to make them go faster. You just, I feel like you just give yourself a lot right. of grace and wisdom. Um, yeah. After your first pregnancy to truly just trust the process, surrender to it and like be strategic with it. 
Yeah, it's so true. I see so many women who, you know, just have their first baby and their, their body feels different and it looks different and moves different. And they're so worried that they're never going to feel, you know, I don't, I hate the word, you know, get their body back or whatever, right. snap back, or, but like, they're never going to just feel like themselves again. Like they just feel like out of their body. And, right. um, and I just like, Oh, that's the one thing I wish I could tell every new mom is just, you know, focus on the things that you enjoy doing, like get back into your habits when it's the right time too. like, don't rush it because you know how you live your life before pregnancy. And then you're going to find a new way of doing things after, but still maintaining the habits that keep you feeling your best, like focus on how you can feel your best and you, you will feel confident in your skin again. Right. you you know, things may look and move different, but like you'll get there. And I think you don't really trust that until you've done it. And then right. you can see, okay, I, I can kind of like see how this process works. And when it's a second time around or third time around, I felt like definitely each time I was so much more relaxed with right. the process. Patient and I, I felt like I could finally enjoy like my first year of mother or like the first yes. year of chances life, because I wasn't so obsessed with like, Oh my God, I need to fix my diocese. Oh my God. I need to work out and get like, you know, really fit again and do yeah. all these things. I had like all these distractions from when I was like, when I was postpartum after Cade. And then when I had chance, it was just so much more peaceful to know that I can enjoy chance and not put, have to push myself in all of these ways, because I know that ultimately my body, my training, my sleep, like my life will find its new homeostasis. And I yep. can be happy with that. Like I can trust that that's going to naturally happen with my habits, with my, yeah. but my most importantly, being happy on the inside and prioritizing that above all things. Right. And I think, I think that's kind of where the realization comes in. Like you realize, okay, yeah, physical, like physical goals are great, but my mental health is, is more important likely, you know, or equally as important. And, you know, finding that balance is so important. And I think once you've done it once you can kind of see, okay, well, I may have gotten back to where I wanted physically really fast after that last pregnancy, but I, you know, was exhausted. I didn't feel good. I, you know, I made all these sacrifices in other ways. And so I think it's just balancing that out too, and realizing you have new obstacles and like new demands and, and just embracing those and, and knowing that you'll find your find your groove. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's hard too, because people are, obviously you work in a nutrition capacity so much with people. I think that when I talk to athletes, they're so almost like preoccupied with tracking macros during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and like, like really (laughs) like, um, trying to be very rigid during these unique (sighs) seasons in life. And so I want them to hear from you, the person who fully understands and like understands the benefits of macros. There's a time and a place. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And even with, even with new moms, you know, I, I think kind of the same way there's a time and a place in that sense too. And I find, you know, most of my clients are moms, like most of them are. And I would say, you know, the biggest thing as a nutrition coach that I, that I really focus on with my clients is 
not doing more. Usually it's doing less, you know, to see the results that they want to see. I just always think that's so interesting. I think women, you know, and I, I, I can speak to women because I work with that population a lot more. I, I do have male clients, but definitely way more females. And I just think a common theme that I see with women is just working so hard and not giving themselves enough grace. And that's something I, I focus on the most probably with my clients is, is that. Right. And just like, I think it's really just trusting in macro habits versus macronutrients, you know, and I, yes, for sure. Especially during pregnancy and in the trenches of postpartum, I, I just feel like we have enough going on around <laughs> us that we are trying to navigate that being controlled by yet another thing. And I know for some people, it totally makes them feel in control. And to that, I would say, yeah, there, no. can we give ourselves some grace in this yeah. season to just think about like, are you having enough protein? Are you drinking yeah. enough water? Are you moving your body in a gentle, intentional way? Are you progressing that strategically? Like the overall macro habits, not necessarily macronutrients and micronutrients. Time and place. Right. I, yeah, keeping it simple is, is key. And, and honestly, that, that usually goes beyond um, pregnancy and postpartum. Most of my clients don't track like specific macro ratios. I focus on, yeah, just general calorie intake, protein intake, fiber intake. I've just found that my most successful clients are the ones, obviously are the ones that are going to stick with whatever it is that they're doing. So making their habits fit within their lifestyle is the key. And it's funny because a lot of people, you know, macros are such a trendy, like buzzword right now. And so a lot of people will come to me and, you know, okay, what's like my macro split? I, that's like the, the right. thing that's going to get them where they want to go. Right. And when I break it down for them and I give them their goals and they're just way more simplified, uh, a lot of times they feel stressed out at first because it just feels like, you know, oh, oh no, now I have to be like more intuitive and I'm, I don't get to have just control on all these things. And, and then they see results and they realize like, okay, I can focus on my habits and keep it simple and focus on consistency over perfection. And what do you know, like it adds up and I'm able to see results and, and I'm not stressed out too, you know, because stress, whether it's, you know, stress that we're putting on ourselves or from overtraining or whatever, it it definitely all adds up and affects our body's ability to progress as well. So especially coming back to pregnancy and postpartum, you have so many new stressors on you. So adding more is not always a good idea. Right. And athletes are just so used to being regimented that they forget how to truly listen to their body. And I see that happen constantly with yep. athletes that are like, well, this is my training program. This is my, what my routine looks like. This is what my eating looks like. And then pregnancy and postpartum, you know, just motherhood comes around. And it's like, cool. Um, well, <laughs> what was is no longer what is, even though like it's still a priority. It just, it almost has to look different because we have evolved into a new body, a new person, new responsibilities. And I think it's really right. hard for people especially athletes to truly acclimate in a healthful way. 
I think, you know, what works for us in our 20s when we have way fewer demands maybe and responsibilities into like our 30s where life is more complicated and we have more demands placed on us, like our training and the way we're doing things, the way we manage stress, all of those things are really important. And, you know, typically even without kids, typically we'll need to make changes to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and feeling our best. Yeah. And I just want you guys to hear that from somebody who truly is a very high level athlete and has and had a great career at that. It's still okay to evolve into the next season of your life as an athlete, because I think the ultimate goal is a lifetime of athleticism. And we do that in whatever ways feel sustainable. Yes, definitely. So that was obviously a little slight tangent into like nutrition, but I think it's helpful for people to hear that, especially coming from you. This week's episode is brought to you by Iconic Protein. You can use code PRACTICEBRAVE using the link in the show notes to try it out. What I love about it is it is on-the-go protein. I don't have to mix anything. I don't need my protein shaker bottles. I don't need to put it in a blender. It is pre-made, ready to go. I just grab it from my fridge and out the door. I love it. I was like my 4 p.m. I'm kind of snacky feeling, but I don't want to have like a full meal. So I love having this for when I'm out the door to baseball or jujitsu or whatever with my kids. It's a great way to get in 20 grams of protein for only 140 calories. I personally really like the chocolate and greens flavor. So if this is something that sounds like it would resonate with you, you're trying to get extra protein in your diet, whether it's because you're postpartum or you're recovering from a surgery, or you just really need more protein to support the fitness that you're doing, I'd really recommend checking out Iconic Protein using the link in my show notes. And please be sure to use code PRACTICEBRAVE to get a discount. So let's fast forward a little bit to your postpartum recovery with Scotty, your last baby what that process looked like for you and ultimately how you ended up choosing to have an abdominal plastic. Yeah. So let's see my timelines. It's hard for me to remember things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I had Scotty and then shortly after that, like I said, I had the itch to compete. I was like, so motivated to do that. And we won the games the week before, or let's see, like, I think I was technically pregnant with Scotty at the games, but I found out the week after. So I went from kind of winning the games excitement to, okay, I'm pregnant now. And I think just having finished where we did and having the experience be so incredible and just kind of everything I had hoped for it to be, I really just didn't feel that drive to compete anymore. And so after I had Scotty, I, you know, went back to CrossFit for a while. I actually, I did your six week postpartum program and I loved it. Just kind of getting in tune with my body again, making sure I was managing pressure. I was breathing, you know, how I should be through movement. And I also went to a pelvic floor PT and worked with her had my pelvic floor assessed and my diastasis assessed and moved with her. And, and I, I think I did that until I want to say hmm, probably six months postpartum and just was really careful and intentional and slow with coming back. I think part of that was that I wanted to really educate myself on the ways to move well and manage pressure with knowing that I have a diastasis and to not make that worse. And then to also have a strong base postpartum. But then 
beyond that, I had four kids and no longer had that like really strong desire to compete. So I was, I was just way more relaxed too. So then leading into the abdominal plasty. Yeah. So then I kind of started to realize I, after, you know, working with my pelvic floor PT, talking with you, I started to realize that my diastasis likely was not going to get better. I could manage pressure really well when I was working out. Like I felt really confident there and I didn't feel like I was really compensating a ton just with kind of the knowledge that I had gained from you in the process. But I still had some things that bothered me. So my my mesh, I could see it and feel it still is just like a, you know, one inch by one inch square on my belly. And I could, you could just see the ridge of it. And it just bothered me just knowing it was there. And then also, you know, when I lean back or go into, yeah, that extended position, like my um, diastasis, just basically my insides would push through in between my my diastasis, my abdominal wall. And so that bothered me. I just didn't feel like secure in that sense. I felt compromised. Yeah. I don't really know how else to explain it. And then, so I I knew I could manage with the diastasis. Obviously I could manage. Okay. I competed. I did, I did a lot of things with it, but I just felt weak. I felt really weak right there. And then beyond that, um, my belly did pooch out because of it. Like if, you know, I could pull it in, I could engage and pull it in. But then as I was relaxed, I would have a little bit of a belly pooch. And so it was just something I noticed and was aware of. And I felt like I was in a really good place with my body and just accepting it. But I also didn't love the fact that, you know, maybe I'd wear a fitted shirt and people were wondering if I was expecting or, you know, it just was taking up space in my mind in that sense. And that, and I would say it bothered me, um, where in the beginning after I had the twins, it was like, I agonized over it. So, you know, fast forward six years, seven years later, it was something that it kind of bothered me, but it wasn't, you know, I felt also I was in a good place, if that makes sense. So kind of all those things combined, I decided to seek out plastic surgery and just kind of see what, what that would look like, what that would mean. And so I spent the next, really, I spent like about a year um, interviewing surgeons and I met with, I think six or seven different ones. And I asked so many questions, you know, from what the internal sutures would be, like what technique would be used? Would we be, would we be doing permanent or dissolvable? And just, you know, really thought about that. Like, what do I want? What's going to be best for me? And I learned a lot that year about what was going on, you know, with, with my core. And then also, yeah, I also felt pretty good about getting the surgery and having my diastasis repaired. And then also seeing the benefits, you know, on the outside too. Like I felt really great actually about how my belly looked. I felt like, I felt like we'd been through a lot together, if that makes sense. And I really appreciated my body, but knowing that, yeah, like I could get some loose skin removed and have my diastasis repaired and, and feel really solid in my core just sounded really nice. So yeah, I moved forward with that. And about, I think about 18 months post uh, maybe a little after last January. So we're coming up on almost a year in like two weeks or so I got surgery. So I got a full 
tummy tuck, which basically means, you know, they repaired my diastasis from my sternum down to my pubic bone. Um, and he, my surgeon, I ended up kind of after all of my research and discussing with different surgeons, I ended up sort of just deciding to go on the surgeon that I felt best with the one that I felt like really understood my desires and wants and like what my desire for the outcome of the surgery to be. And then someone that I had really good rapport with someone that I felt like would advocate for me if things didn't go well. And I just decided to let it be up to them as far as how they felt best on their suturing technique. Right. Like that sounds so basic, but instead of, you know, like, and I see that all the time, people are like, we make sure, you know, that they do this or do that. But like, I really (laughs) think that us as a non-medical professional, like what the hell do we actually know about this? And I mean, the more I learn, the more I'm like, Oh my God, like, what do I even know about dissolvable or not dissolvable? Exactly. (laughs) But really it is like, Everyone listening, I know we've recorded a few podcasts on diastasis and abdominal plasties. Find the surgeon that you connect with. Yeah. Their techniques are going to be different based on their training, based on their experience and all of that. Yes. Like you have to just trust the doctor (laughs) and how you feel and look at their pictures and read their testimonials and like be thorough in ways that are actually measurable by your own scope of practice. Yes. (laughs) For sure. Make yourself crazy. I know it's so true. I, and I, and I don't regret it because, you know, the hours I spent on PubMed researching different suture techniques and materials, like I don't regret it because I feel like I was at least really informed when I got the surgery. Like I know exactly what he did and I know why he does, you know, why he does it that way. And ultimately I just decided, okay, like he's the professional. I'm going to just trust him. He has experience in this field, but I'm glad that I'm at least informed and I know what he's doing, you know, at least I have an understanding. So he did, you know, eight, eight permanent sutures is what he liked to do. Eight um, single permanent sutures. And then he did a running um, continuous dissolvable suture for me. And he actually recorded the surgery, which was really cool. So I got to watch it back. And yeah, I think I feel other than on day two, being his only patient ever in his 14 years to get a hematoma, I felt like the recovery was really great. So day two, I, you know, I messaged him and sent him a photo and he did, he did a quilted suture. So basically he does a drainless procedure and that's supposed to decrease the risk of a seroma by like, I don't remember the exact statistic, but, but by a lot, I think it takes it from like 30% down to like 2%. Don't quote me on that. So basically they quilt, they quilt suture my skin down really tight to my abdominals. And with that, it's supposed to make it so no fluid can kind of accumulate. But the evening after my surgery, I I got up just to go to the bathroom and I felt a little tug, like a tiny little tug. And it kind of bothered me, but I didn't really, other than that, I just went back to bed. You're in a pretty groggy state. And the next morning he had me send in my photos and he, he said there would be a little bit of puckering with the suturing technique. Um, but I sent the photos and he immediately wrote me back. And I think he immediately knew what was going on, but he was like, Oh, that looks terrible. Um, and so I'm like, what? (laughs) That's the last thing you want your surgeon to tell you. And so 
anyway, so uh, he rushed me in and he, you know, could tell that I had some, some internal bleeding happening just from that suture. I think just because it was, I don't have a lot of tissue on my belly. So I think it was just attached like to my muscle and it just didn't have a lot of flexibility when I was moving and just snagged and caused a little bit of bleeding and it had stopped on its own, but obviously there's nowhere for that blood to go. So he and his team opened me back up, which didn't really stress me out, but I think my family was stressed because it was a long, it was probably about the same amount of time, you know, two hours surgery. Cause I was stressed for you. Yeah. I think everyone, (laughs) I think everyone else was stressed because it was long, you know? And so he, he, he went, he had to, you know, cut me back open and he's a surgeon. So he's a perfectionist and he wanted that external scar to look good. And so I'm sure he took his time doing that. And then had to take every single of those quilting sutures out and then vacuum out the blood and then put it back down and re-sew me back up. So quite a process. Um, but I was drugged up. So I, you know, I didn't know. I just went to sleep, woke up and it was over. And, and, and after that, I, you know, even like with that, I just, I, I felt like I, I feel really lucky. Um, I healed pretty, I don't know, textbook after that, I guess whatever that means, <laughs> really but not a ton of complaints after that. I just, you know, was, but also I was really slow and cautious with my recovery too. Right. right. Absolutely. There's just, I mean, you guys have now officially heard us talk. Well, not just Michaela, but with Lisa and with me, like, it seems like there's always like a struggle, whether it's the choice to have it, what gets you there or the surgery or something in the recovery. Like there's just so many variables And we do our best, all the ones that we can, but also just know that like, it's just a big surgery and there's just so many things that are just truly not within our control. And we just, we do our best and hopefully, you know, you have the support around you to navigate it well. Um, And that's what, you know, me, Lisa, Michaela, all of us are really trying to do as people have walked through that, you know, just create a feeling and, and connection that you're not alone. And there's, it's just, yeah. it is just a big surgery. <laughs> it's a big surgery. I know. And I, even though I did a year of research and, you know, felt so good about like my doctor, but I, I even like, I was a wreck going into that surgery. I, I, I would say probably not like the day of, but the, you know, making the decision, like, okay, here I am, I'm doing this elective surgery. I have four kids. Like, what if something goes wrong? And am I worth that sacrifice? Like, should I be making that sacrifice for myself when I have so many people dependent on me? And like, that was something I, I almost didn't get it done for that reason. Um, I just felt like maybe this is too much, you know, like, I don't even know how to explain that. Like, am I allowed to to do this for myself? Yeah. It's like shame. You're then you're scared. Yeah. And then like stigma, like there's just, again, there's there's so much, so many variables that it just become this, just this mind fuck of so bad. I was so of just being embarrassed. Like, I don't know. There's just, there is just so much. And then truly just having to trust in, yeah someone other than yourself. And that part is hard too, when you are yeah. like be in control. Yeah. I ended up, you know, my sister <laughs> helped me a lot, like with working through that. And then also Craig, he, you know, we basically, he basically was just told me, um, you've done your research. This is a safe surgery. You have a skilled doctor. Like you, he has all the qualifications he needs. He has experience. Like you, you've gotten like the answer, you know, that this is the right thing for you. Like, so you got to trust that. And, 
And he's like, and, and you, you never know what could happen. And if you live your life worrying about all the risks that could happen, then you're not going to live your life. He's like, so you got to just move forward with what feels like the right decision in the moment and trust that. And so I just, so I did it. And, um, also it helped too, on my pre-op meeting, you know, I asked my doc, I asked my surgeon, like, (laughs) I'm worried I'm going to die. And he went through like, okay, let's talk about that. Like here are the actual risks of this surgery and, and hearing the actual risks and the percentages and all of those things just made me like, okay, that's, I feel, I just felt way better, you know? So I would just say for anyone that's going through that, like know that that's probably a normal thing to feel all those things. It's a big decision, but talking to your doctor about it and actually knowing the risks that are the risks versus just like in your head, right. You know, coming up with them, um, can be really helpful too. I a hundred percent agree. We are really just, I say this a lot, but like, I think we are all just trying to do our best with the information and support we have available at the time. Yeah. So there's a lot that we can say, Oh, maybe I wish I would have known that or done that differently. Like we really are just all on our own journey and now yeah. work to connect the dots and provide more real life stories and examples and of just like what that process is, because I feel like it's so similar to what it was like for you and I seven years ago with mm-hmm. pregnancy and postpartum. <laughs> uh, we didn't really know that much. And now we're like kind of walking through what some of those scenarios and situations look like and just getting more context along the way. So thank you so much for sharing so much um, like vulnerable information. Oh yeah. I'm an open book. And if anyone has questions on this, you know, I'm happy to share more of my experience and give you just more information if you ever, if you ever need it. Cause I think it can be, it's a vulnerable topic. And luckily I felt okay, you know, sharing my story and my process because um really what I, my goal with that was just because on my end, like there wasn't other women sharing that process other than you and Lisa. Like, I didn't really know of any other women who had gone through that. And so it's, it's a scary process to navigate. And I just wanted to normalize it a little bit for women that felt shame around it or didn't feel like they could ask those questions. Right. So Right. And it doesn't have to be something that carries so much stigma and shame, even though like that's really kind of the default opinions and feelings that accompany it. Um, Yeah. Being a choice or a circumstance for a lot of different people for a variety of reasons. And, you know, hopefully people just go into that surgery feeling informed and supported and have a good team around them um, and know that they've arrived there from a place of not like desperation. Yes. My body, I need to like, Oh, my diastasis prevents me from doing all this. Like all of that is untrue. You know, yep. there's, there's so much work that can be done leading into the choice or circumstance to have surgery. And I just mm-hmm. arrive to that place with a sense of peace versus that desperation that we know so many women experience. <sighs> yeah. Because honestly, you know, our, like after surgery, you're not going to get perfection, right? You're still going to have things that bother you or things you don't right. love or, or whatever. So going into that surgery, knowing that and having those expectations that, yeah, some things are going to be improved. Some things are going to be probably worse and some things are going to be the same or, you know, and, and just like knowing those things, I think helped me a lot in the post-op time of just with my expectations. Yes. Yeah, it's so true because I think we think, well, I'm going to have a flat stomach. Everything's going to look better and no more stretch marks. Um, I'm not going to like 
bloat or have any of these issues. And that's just, that's just not necessarily true. Like there's everyone experiences a recovery and I guess, end aesthetic differently. Yeah. There's some things that I liked more about my belly aesthetically before and some things I like more now. And, um, but overall I would say I am really glad I got the surgery. Um, but I, I think, you know, I don't know that I really came to that conclusion until probably like four to six months post-op. So it's a long healing process for sure. Yeah. It's taken me quite a while to, to differentiate between like, well, it's not necessarily better. It's just different. And then it's finding acceptance once again in a different or changed body. And it has to do with like, I would say typical body image, just more of like understanding and, and acclimating to the differences, you know, like, and that's its own process that is a lot of, you know, peaks and valleys. So, Mm -hmm. well, and just, I feel like this, the more we can acknowledge that, the better off we are. Yeah. There's so much talk of like, well, body neutrality and body positivity, but that's not a linear process. That's just like, it's high. And low oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yep. And I think, you know, that goes way beyond postpartum and post-op, right? That's our whole lives. So I just think in these circumstances, it feels a little more extreme for sure. Just the, the things that we're adapting to and, you know, it's just a lot more, it feels like a little more of like a high, really high, high, really low, low of the roller coaster to like navigate that, I think. And, but I'm so grateful for the time that I have had to work through that, you know, because I think it's just given me the opportunity to really like see my body for how hard it works for me every single day and like really appreciate it as so much more than just to look at, I guess, you know, I like, it's so much more than that. And so I think, I think that's the one thing I've really learned through this process of like starting out in that desperation to want to fix things to realizing I couldn't to just accepting and kind of like figuring out how to navigate that and things looking different than I thought they would. Right. No, it's a beautiful, complicated process that I think, like you mentioned, will really help us navigate the rest of our life and aging and fitness, body image and habits and motherhood, just having that perspective and, and truly coming to a place where there's just deep appreciation, even if things aesthetically change, which they obviously will or function, maybe they will like just being able to appreciate what our body does do and can do through every season. Mm Mm-hmm. I love everything you're doing with that, especially. So thanks for everything you put out there. We are truly living this together and I appreciate you so much. So tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram is probably where I spend the most time as far as social media goes. It's just at hungry fitness. And then I have a website, hungryfitness.co. And yeah, I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I, I'm capped right now, but look for spots kind of in the new year. Awesome. Well, this will probably be airing um, around that time. So okay, just shoot me a DM, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) if you need more information. So wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really 
confident about. I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.